Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. You know, there are a lot of joys as a parent. <laughs> For instance, like we just saw with me having the opportunity to, to, to baptize my son. But you know, when you think about just being a parent, man, one of the greatest privileges, one of the greatest joys is to watch your children play dress up and make believe. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it is so much fun to see them do that. Like my oldest, when he was little, he used to love to pretend to be the world heavyweight champion of the WWE. He would, he would have me, he would pick out a, an intro song and he'd put on that big old heavyweight uh, championship belt that we got from Toys R Us and he would crank it up and come running in and flex and pose and do all that stuff like he had seen John Cena do. It was so cute and he'll probably want to kill me after this, after telling you all that. Right? Or like my daughter who loves to dress up and play make-believe in fancy dresses and get all dolled up, pretend like she's a bride on her wedding day. She's even roped her little brother in to be in the groom a few times. I've had a wedding or ten right there in my living room. Or like my two youngest boys, I mean, they, they absolutely love to play dress up and pretend. Uh, it just seems like they, they change at the drop of a hat, I mean, from character to character. One minute... They're dressed like General George Washington and a member of the Continental Army. And then the next minute, they're cowboys. And then before you know it, you know how kids are. They're going to pull out their whole wardrobe, right? They're just going to keep working through it. Next thing, they're ninjas. And then they're superheroes. Children have an amazing ability to play pretend and to play make-believe. And it's really fun to watch. But while playing make-believe as a child is fun and healthy, it can have deadly consequences if it's carried over into adulthood. And sadly, a young, good-looking American couple, here they are on the screen here. That's Jay Austin and Lauren uh, uh, Georgian, both 29 years old. They, they found this out the hard way just a little over a month ago, July 29th, 2018. They were on the trip of a lifetime. They had both decided they had desk jobs, and they had decided to quit their jobs and, and decided to start a bicycle trip around the world. Sounds like fun, right? Jay wrote in 2017, he said, I've grown tired of spending the best hours of my day in front of a glowing rectangle, of coloring the best years of my life in swaths of gray and beige. I've missed too many sunsets while my back was turned. Too many thunderstorms went unwatched. Too many gentle breezes unnoticed. And we can, we can empathize, we can sympathize, right? We can connect to that sort of thinking. And so they jumped out, set out, began their trip in the southernmost tip of Africa, in, in Cape Town, South Africa, and they headed north. And they biked through some of the most exotic places in the world, Nam, uh, Namibia, uh, uh, Botswana, Zambia, Malawi, Tanzania, Egypt, Morocco. Then they got into Europe, Spain, France, Italy, Croatia, Montenegro, Kosovo, heading east, Turkey, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. While they're in Morocco, Jay wrote these moving but dangerously naive words. Listen to what he said. He said, you watch the news and you read the papers and you're led to believe that the world is a big, scary place. 
People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad. People are evil. People are axe murderers and monsters and worse. I don't buy it. He said this. He went on to say this. He said, evil is a make-believe concept. We've invented to deal with the complexities of human, uh, fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than ours. Did you hear what he said? He said, evil is a make-believe concept. And sadly, very sadly, harsh reality would prove these words wrong. On that day in late July, the 369th day of their trip, as they biked near the nation of, of Afghanistan through the nation of Tajikistan, uh, Tajikistan, I guess is how you say that, near ISIS-held territory, a car passed by them on the road only to do a sharp U-turn, come back to them at high speed and ran them over, knocking them off their bikes. And then five men got out of that car, lurched over their fallen bodies, and stabbed this couple to death, along with two other cyclists who were riding with them. Beloved, I say to you this morning, evil is not make-believe. Evil is very real. And evil lives here on this planet. Today, as we continue our series called The Elephant in the Room, where we're taking on topics that, that most folks want to ignore. They're either too uncomfortable or too controversial. They're too, uh, uh, too deep or too upsetting. And so what do we do? We ignore it. Today's elephant in the room is the elephant of the sinfulness of man. You see, society, as a society, we're increasingly erasing the category of sin. The typical secular worldview would proclaim that mankind is at worst a blank slate, right? That tabula rasa that you heard about back in school. That we're this blank slate just ready to be written upon. But most folks today would go a step further and they would say that mankind is naturally good. You know, mankind is just this little, innocent, beautiful little flower that's just trying to rise up and bloom in this harsh world. And when, even, and when evil happens, society, what do we do? We try to explain it away. We do everything in our power to explain it away. It, it just can't be that person's fault, we say. It must have been the home they were brought up in. They must have been bullied at school. They must have some sort of uh, untreated medical issue. They must have been mistreated some way because this is not how people naturally act, the world says. Or often the world tries to place labels on them that dehumanize them. For instance, like this headline that I saw the other day in the coverage of the Molly Tibbetts murder in Iowa, the clickbait headline said this, monster worked just down the street. We often use that label monster to describe somebody, a human being who has done something awful. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? The answer is because we can't imagine today in 2018 America a person doing such a thing. They must be something other than human. They must be a monster instead of human. But I say to you this morning, beloved, 
They are not monsters. In fact, if I were to put up here pictures of serial killers that you had never seen or heard of, you could not pick them out of a lineup by simply looking at them. It is not, it's not that they are different. It's that they are sinful human beings who act on their sinfulness. So, beloved, worldview has consequences, doesn't it? And that's why it's so important for us to have a biblical worldview this morning. So here's today's takeaway. Today's takeaway is this. I want you and me to resist the cultural pressure to explain away evil. In other words, I'm calling you this morning to call it what it is. And resist moving into the land of make-believe. That's the land of make-believe, is pretending that evil is not real. We come, to face to, we, we come face to face with the sinfulness of man in our text this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20. Please stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Romans 3, beginning in the ninth verse. We'll read down through the 20th verse. And Scripture says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it's written. And here it is. We're going to come face to face with human sinfulness here. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray together this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to see the world as you have revealed it to be. God, this morning we stand on the sufficiency of your scripture. We throw out psychology, we throw out sociology, we throw out all those things and put them under the lordship of your Bible, of your word, God. We want to think how you think. Father, even when it's not rosy, even when it's not the way we would hope it to be, God, help us today to see the world as you see it. And God, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice today who has yet to repent and believe on Jesus, we pray today would be the day they would see their need for Christ and would run to him in faith and love. It's in Jesus' name we ask this and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab your seats there. You know, guys, that's a really sobering story, but it's a real story. It's reality, right? Human worldview, our worldview has consequences and we've got to be Careful, we've got, to, we've got to see the world how God sees it. So to help you and me to resist this cultural pressure to explain away evil, I want to share four truths with you this morning. The first truth is this, is that mankind is naturally evil. I know that's hard for some of you to hear. It's hard for me to say it. But the question that I have before you this morning 
is are we going to be a people of observation? Or are we going to be people of revelation? Those are going to take you through two totally different destinations, right? Those are two totally different paths. I'm calling you to be people of revelation, right? You see, here in the Bible, the revealed word of God, we see the truth, the unsavory truth, but it's truth nonetheless that mankind is naturally evil. God through Paul makes that abundantly clear here in our text. Romans 3 verse 9, he says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Now when the Bible says Jews and Greeks, he's basically saying the entirety of mankind. Because in Bible lingo, you are either a Jew or a Gentile, and the Gentiles here are represented by the Greek people. And so he's saying the entirety of mankind. Let's just be honest. That's a radical statement. Every man is under sin. Every woman is under sin. Every boy and girl is under sin. And then Paul begins to give evidence. He doesn't just make the statement. He then backs it up here, illustrates the validity of what he's just said. He basically lines up quote after quote from the book of Psalms for his evidence. He says, no one naturally seeks the true God. And that's true. You see, we naturally rebel against God, against the real God, and we chase after idols. He says, no one naturally does Good. In fact, we, we know this well from Isaiah 64, verse 6, that, he, that even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in that King James language. He says here in, in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And listen to this. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And listen, and our iniquities like the wind take us Away. That means the gravity of our depravity pulls you and me into sin. Paul in Romans 3 continues on. He says, we naturally lie. My mom and daddy never had to teach me how to lie. They had to teach me how to tell the truth. And it's the same way with all of us here. We naturally spew out curses. We naturally spew out bitterness. We naturally respond with violence. Now, the pop psychologists, they would all stand in great protest to what I've just said. No, 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 preacher, it's, 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 a, it's not a nature issue, they would say. It's a nurture issue. Those people have just not been brought up in the right home or with the right sort of thinking or the right type of education. But Scripture is crystal clear. Crystal clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And when she once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and listen to this, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, did God here say that we are children of wrath by nature or by nurture? Which one did God say? By nature. It doesn't say, and you were by nurture children of wrath. It says you were by nature children of wrath. Mankind, 
A biblical worldview says that mankind is naturally wicked, naturally evil. In fact, it was David, King David, who declared about himself in Psalm 51.5. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about the environment that he was born into. He's talking about the internal constitution, the reality of his sin nature. From the moment that you and I are conceived, we are conceived with a sin nature. The curse of Adam is passed on to each person as they come into existence. That's true of every one of us. Of every one of us. And I know, man, that does not make for a great birth announcement, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, they're all cute and cuddly and all those things. But again, biblical worldview, guys. Biblical worldview. It's true. And if we're going to resist the cultural pressure to explain away evil, then we must hold to the biblical truth that mankind is naturally evil. Every one of us. Ben Simpson is naturally evil. That's the first truth. The second truth is that you need to understand this morning is that what God says is evil is evil. This is so important. What God says is evil is evil. You see, the reason the sinfulness of man is the elephant in the room is because people don't want to think of their sin as being sinful. That's the mindset of our politically correct postmodern culture. Dan Pagoda, he once had this church cartoon, kind of like the political cartoons that you see in the newspapers. He had this church cartoon pictured with these four people with very concerned faces across the desk from the pastor. And one of them had in their hands this clipboard that was full of signatures on it. And the spokesman for the group in the cartoon, he, he said to the pastor, this petition pastor requests changing the term sinner to person who is morally challenged. I mean, isn't that the culture we live in? We don't want to call it sin. We want to call it the person who is morally challenged. That doesn't even sound like satire in 2018, does it? <laughs> that sounds like reality. That sounds like a meeting that some pastor somewhere is having right now with his church board. We don't want to call sin, sin. We want to make believe like everything's okay. People want to make believe like they are holy and righteous in and of themselves. But in order to do that, what do we have to do? We have to redefine what sin is. We have to change the categories so that their actions no longer fall into the category of sin. And the most prevalent instance of this, uh, this redefinition of sin in society today is, is the sin of homosexuality. I mean, it's, it's, it's front and center. If you're looking for an example, this is it. As a culture, homosexuality has been redefined. It's been moved from that sin category first to a neutral category, right? That, that's where it went first, right? Because oftentimes these redefinitions, they don't come all at once because the change is too sweeping. It takes in, incrementalism. It takes progressive steps until they get to where they eventually want to go. And so at first they said, let's just move it into the neutral category. Live and let live. Let them do what they want to do. Right? What's right for them is right for them. What they do in their bedroom in private is, is, is of no, um, no concern to us. But now it's being pushed 
from that neutral category over into the righteous category in society. In fact, even amongst Christian churches, there are those who would say, unabashedly, proudly would say that homosexuality is righteous. They wouldn't even say it's mm, maybe not the best thing to do. They would say that it is righteous. In fact, they would happily place homosexuals in church leadership, even installing them as pastors and as bishops. But beloved, I want to say to you this morning, it is not up to you and to me to define what sin is and what sin is not. Whose job is that? That's God's job. That is God's job. What God says is evil, you and I must declare that that is evil. God in His grace. You see, this book is filled with God's grace, not just the grace that, that forgives sin, but grace that shows us this is sin. Don't go there. And he said time and time again, he's given us list after list after list to say, this is not righteous. Here in our text, Romans 3, we see that lying is evil. That shedding blood or murder is evil. Of course, you're well aware of the Ten Commandments. If you're looking for a list, I mean, you go to the original list, right? The Ten Commandments. Worshiping other gods is evil. And, and maybe you're not even... Maybe that word itself makes you cringe. Evil. Ben, is it really evil? If God says it's evil, it's evil. Making an image of God is evil. Taking the name of God in vain is evil. Not resting in God is evil. Dishonoring your parents is evil. Murder is evil. Adultery is evil. Stealing is evil. Lying is evil. Coveting is evil. That's the Ten Commandments. Every one of those tells us this is out of bounds. Don't cross it. Don't do that. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, we read this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'll warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, what we have in those lists is the grace of God who has revealed to us unchanging moral standards. You know, I was a sociology major, and one of the big theories in sociology is the social construct of truth. And I want to say to you today, there is no such thing that is a lie from the pits of hell. God 
is the definer and the arbiter of truth. And what he has defined is the same yesterday and today and forever. Just like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see these moral standards, they, 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 they come from his character and from his nature. Just as God does not change, these moral standards do not change. They're the same in Alvaton as they are in Beijing. No matter, where, no matter when it is. No matter where it is, no matter who it is, we do not have the authority to change them. We would be fools to change them, and we would be wise to heed them. What God says is evil is evil. That's the second truth. The third truth to help you resist the cultural pressure to explain away evil is the gospel is the answer to overcoming evil. Amen? The gospel's the answer. Now, you might have said, no, Smith and Wesson is the answer. <laughs> That's not the ultimate answer. That only holds back sin. It does not cure sin. It may put the fear of someone in somebody, but it does not cure sin. You see, God has given us the answer in Scripture. We don't have to go to the secular psychologies and the secular mindsets and the secular answers. If we'll only just read just a little bit further here in Romans 3, we see the answer spelled out in detail. We get the summary of the problem right here in verse 19 and 20. Where God says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and that all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So when you and I come face to face with the moral law of God, our mouths are by necessity shut. None of us can stand and say, not me, God. There is no evil in me. There is no wickedness in me. There is no sin in me. Because when the law is brought near... And brought to bear on our actions, it becomes painfully obvious that we are sinners. So what's the answer? The answer, church, is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Just, just read a little bit further in Romans 3, verse 21 through 24. Now apart from the law, Scripture says, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, in this text here, this is a really thick argument for the righteousness of God. How can God save sinners? And it's a really thick explanation here. But basically, God is not letting sin go unpunished. Christ took the punishment for us. That's what he's getting at here. Sin is punished. Either you pay for your sin or Christ paid for your sin. This is how we become righteous before God. By repenting of sin 
and trusting in Jesus Christ. But not only is that how we become righteous before God, this is how, and we need to get this in our brains, church, this is how we extend righteousness on the earth through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to see righteousness grow, not just in your own heart, but in this community right here? Do you want Alverton and Scottsville and Bowling Green to be more righteous? Then you've got to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ultimate answer is not a well-armed army. That's not the ultimate answer. That'll keep evil at bay. But again, it will not cure evil. It doesn't overcome evil. A better education? That's not the answer. I want the whole world to know more. But ultimately, an education does not overcome the, the, the heart issue that a person has. Money, that's what we try to do as America, right? These places where we see evil rising up, we try to throw money at it, and we try to prop it up, and we try to give it democracy and all these things, and we think if we could just do that, if we could just give them those tools, then evil will go away. But it doesn't. Why? Because the ultimate answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that sinners get connected to the Savior. And then what do people who get connected to the Savior do? They follow the Savior in righteousness. You know, every time, every time you read the newspaper, it should be a call to evangelism. Every time you open that page and you see that heart breaking story like the one that we just read about those Americans who were 29 years old. It should be a call to evangelism. Every time we read those heartbreaking uh, headlines, our response should be, the world needs more Jesus. We should just curse the darkness, right? We should engage the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's the answer to sin. The evil that's inside of you and inside of me. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have yet to repent and believe on Jesus, your greatest need right now is that you are a sinner and Christ came that you could be saved. And I pray this morning that that you'll not just see Jesus as the answer for out there, but that Jesus would be the answer for right here in your own heart today. But it is. It's the answer for sin and evil in the world. And so if you want to ultimately overcome evil, then spread the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to overcoming evil in this world. Finally, to help you resist the cultural pressure to explain away evil, know this final thing is that God will one day eradicate evil. Amen? Amen? Yes. Some of you might be saying, well, what's he waiting on, preacher? (laughs) And that's when we get at what we call the theological problem of evil or theodicy. How can God let wickedness continue? Why is he standing idly by? And the answer is, he isn't. God is not standing idly by. God is working out a plan to do two things, according to Scripture. To bring greater joy 
to the hearts of the redeemed and to bring greater glory for himself. If we just skipped ahead a few, past, a few chapters in Romans to go to Romans 8. Turn there with me, Romans 8, 18 through 22. We see this bearing out. God's working to bring greater joy into the heart of his people and then greater glory for himself. Paul writes, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is, that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious, anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Did you see joy and did you see glory in that passage? Why is God waiting? Why is God allowing those things to happen? And the answer is, theologically, and it could be a whole different sermon, is that God is working out a plan to bring greater joy into the heart of his people and greater glory for himself. And you and I are tempted to sit and say, in judgment against God, I'd do it different. I would do it different, God. And I would say back to you, who are you, O oh man, to question Almighty God, who is perfect in wisdom, who is perfect in justice, who is perfect in mercy, and every attribute you can think of? Who are you to say, God, I would do it a different way? Scripture's clear. Our ways are not God's ways. I mean, honestly, if we were writing the story of history, the plan of redemption and everything here, we would. We would do it a different way. But you know what? There would be less joy in God and less glory for God. And so I'm calling this morning, trust God. God will one day eradicate evil. We have to trust that he is doing what is ultimately best. And I believe he is, right? We need to trust him. But one day in God's plan and in God's timing, evil will be done away with. We get a glimpse of it in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. The scripture says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And listen to this. Listen to this, y'all. Evil eradicated here. Listen to this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And him who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I'll be his God, and he'll be my son. Now listen to this again. Evil eradicated, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable 
and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God in his time is eradicating, will eradicate evil from our experience. But I want to say to you this morning, that time is coming, but we are not there yet. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just telling you, the world that we live in is filled with wolves who seek to devour us. That's why Jesus told his disciples before he sent them out in Matthew 10, 6, uh, 10 16. 10, 16, he said, For behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And that's you and me today, right? We are sheep. We are followers of Christ, but we are sheep amongst wolves. So he says this, So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. I say to you this morning, church, let's not play make-believe. The world is not yet fully a safe place. There are wolf wolves and there are human wolves out to devour you. I say to you this morning, evil is real and will be real until Jesus returns. And so I say to you, resist the cultural pressure to explain away evil. Here's my final prayer for us this morning. May we be wise as serpents and innocent as doves until Jesus returns. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. 
So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.